<clears throat> Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 18. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 18. <clears throat> Thanksgiving Day <clears throat> was made a national holiday in 1863 by President Abraham Lincoln uh, to celebrate the feast uh, the pilgrims held after their first successful corn harvest in 1621. What many Americans failed to remember is that Thanksgiving is not just to be thankful. It is uh, about being thankful to the one true God. Amen. <clears throat> and that is something that our country is sorely missing. One of the pilgrims, uh, Ed, Edward uh, Winslow, wrote, the, wrote a letter about the feast to a friend uh, known uh, to, to know of the successful harvest that, uh, that, he had, that he had this to say. These things I thought good to let you understand that you might on our behalf give, give God thanks uh, who, held, who had uh, dealt so favor, favorably with us. Boy, I, that, that is a, that's an incredible statement. If you didn't know it, there was an ongoing deliberate attempt uh, to secularize American history and American holidays. So many of which have been established with the sole purpose of giving praise to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The, the, <clears throat> uh, the Bible reiterates the importance of giving thanks in Scripture. Uh, I, I don't. I don't. I, I didn't take the time to to figure it out, but there are multiple times that we are told to praise, uh, to praise God. In fact, we are told to praise more than we are told to pray. Think about that for a second. D.L. Moody wrote this. He said there is a great deal more said in the Bible about praise than prayer yet how few praise meetings there are you know we we will oftentimes well once a week uh on wednesday we as a church get together and and we have, we have prayer requests and we pray for one another and and so on and so forth and and um <clears throat> early in our church we established sunday night as a time to to give god praise and and we spend a, a season on Sunday evenings. Uh, there have been an occasion where uh, there were so many praises it took up the entire service. And <clears throat> I, I believe that that's a biblical thing. This week I, <clears throat> I I I don't like to read long articles on the internet. Y'all y'all know what I mean. I I there's the, I mean you could spend years reading all the junk that's out there well I, but i have a friend who 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 usually will post short little things so typically if i see something that he puts up i'll 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 read it but i read something this week it's just a short little thing uh <clears throat> that i wanted to uh to share 
with you. The, the author, is, his name is David Gibbs. David Gibbs is um, a lawyer with the uh, Christian Law Association. And he put up an article, and the, the title of the article was Three Reasons We Should Be Thankful. And um, <clears throat> knowing this man and, and uh, the type of writing that he does, I thought, well, I'm going to read this. And, and again, l- let me share it with you. The first thing he says, first, we should be thankful for our salvation in Jesus Christ. If all the world, uh, as we know it, ceased this very moment, and all you had was Jesus, that would be enough. And boy, what a sobering reminder uh, of just, I mean, wow. Because the reality is the world could end, as we know it, uh, right this moment, could it not? If you're a believer, uh, you're going away. (laughs) Sooner the better, you know? Um, the second thing, he says, second, we should be thankful for the countless blessings that God has uh, undes- undeservedly bestowed on us. As born sinners, God has mercifully given us far more than we deserve. And, th- and for that, we ought to praise his name continually. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 8, he, he quotes, uh, give give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. Number three, the third reason we should uh, be thankful. We should be thankful simply because he commands us to be. I read that and I went, wow. How often we forget. God, who loved the, who loved us when we were yet... Uh, in our sin, gives us the command in Psalm 100 to be thankful unto him and bless his name. That is not a suggestion. That is a command. He goes on. Not only does God command us to be grateful people, but he also condemns unthankfulness as sin that we we'll see in the last days. And then he quotes 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. It says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, and unholy. So, <clears throat> we can clearly see <clears throat> in America today uh, a spirit of unthankfulness, can we not? Satan has been incredibly successful in secularizing days that have been set aside by our 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 early uh, <clears throat> leaders in our country as holy days, days that they had set apart for our country to worship and thank God, have been turned into <clears throat> fiascos called <clears throat> Black Friday and early shopping and and all that other garbage. I re- I don't know about you. I, I'm not I'm not speaking for my wife. <clears throat> I refuse to go anywhere on Black Friday. I just won't do it. How many are you with me? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Amen. You know what? Because I I personally refuse to be a part of that. I I, I don't I, I I don't want to spend one day being thankful to God for what He's done in my life, and then spend the ne- the next day 
fighting over televisions and getting shot at Walmarts. And, you know, it's insanity. What does our world come to? I mean, literally, I saw, I saw in a news clip that a, a, a young girl opened the doors to the store that she was working at, and she literally had to jump up on a table to get away from the crowds that were, that were rushing in and almost knocked her down and trampled on her. It's craziness. The title of my message this morning is God Deserves Our Praise. God Deserves Our Praise. For the last several weeks, we have been reading about the trials and the, the complaining of the Israelites and the, 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 the struggle after struggle after struggle that they, that they had to deal with. And <clears throat> uh, it, it, you know, life, <clears throat> life is not one struggle after another. Now, it may seem like that sometimes. <laughs> You know, hey, we've all been there. We we've all been there. You know, it's like it's like it just the time you get through one struggle, it's like there's another one and another. But you know, the reality is, it's not it's not always like that. <clears throat> Charles Spurgeon said this. I love this quote. I, I I read this recently and I was like, wow, I love this because this is me. Okay, you, you know. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, unfortunately. Uh, he said, God's people are prone to engrave their trials in marble and write their blessings in the sand. We all do that, do we not? It's sad, very sad, but we're all guilty of it. Now, I want to read that again. And if you're smart, you'll try and write it down. If you need it, if you need, I'll text it to you, email it to you later, whatever. But get a hold of this, because because this is really the whole pivotal point of the whole message right here. God's people are prone to engrave their trials in marble, and write their blessings in the sand. Praising God is always better than complaining. In fact, praising God is the antidote to complaining. About two weeks ago, maybe three, I can't remember, it's it, it, within the last month, I was driving down the interstate all by myself. And that doesn't happen too often, but it, you know, I was all by myself. And, and I, I'm just being transparent this morning. I was in the midst of an incredible pity party. I mean, I was having a great time. Y'all laughing because y'all do it too. And, and I, I'm driving down the interstate, and, and, and man, I, I was... <laughs> it sounds horrible, but, but it's true. I, I was just... Man, I, I had justified my anger. I had justified being angry with God? I mean, I had it all figured out. <laughs> then I remembered something that my pastor, uh, many of you have met, uh, Pastor John Stevens. He was my pastor for 20 years, but he, many, many years ago, he taught me something 
that that as I'm driving down the interstate having a good old time in my pity party, he God brought this back. He says, when your heart is heavy, praise him. And I realized all of a sudden what I had been doing. And I started praising him. I, I had been listening to some, some Christian music that I, that I keep on my phone. And uh, <clears throat> I, I thought, you know what? I, I need I need I need some different music, so I went to uh, one one particular album that I have on my phone and and I, I turned it on and it's just whenever I listen to this particular album it just it always encourages my heart. Y- y'all know what I mean. We all have those 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 things. And my heart was lifted up and I started singing and and praising God. And you know what happened? My pity party it went bye bye. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 23 and 24 says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. The, 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 the word here, put on, the new man, the, the, the idea of putting on. <clears throat> when I pulled up in front of the church this morning and got out of the van. I always take my suit. Well, I better not do that. I got a thing in here. I always take my suit coat off before I get in the car and I, and I throw it on the on the back seat. And when I get to church, I, I walk around to the side of the van and I reach in the van, I grab my jacket and I put it on. It's a choice that I make. That is literally what this is talking about. What did I do driving down the interstate the other day in the midst of my petty party? I chose to put on new thinking. I chose to start praising him instead of complaining to him. See, way too often we fail to realize that praise is a choice. In fact, I have a question for you. Is praise a choice? Okay, yeah, I already gave you the answer, but but it's important you get a hold of this. Because if you're just saying that because you're agreeing with me, then you're going to miss the whole point of the sermon this morning. But if you really believe that praise is a choice, then there is a conclusion that you have to also acknowledge. See, if we say and believe that praise is a choice, then we have to also agree that complaining is also a choice. See, oftentimes we get, uh, get into situations and trials and struggles and we, and we get heavy in our hearts and, and we think, well, that's beyond my control. No, it is, it is within your control. You choose to have a heavy heart. Now, now, the circumstance may not be of your choosing. 
but your reaction to the circumstance is your choosing. See, we choose in good times to praise God. That's easy. But do we praise God in the difficult times too? Most of us do exactly what I did. We choose to have our own pity parties. And when we realize the fact that all of this is choice, it changes everything, does it not? Exodus chapter 18. Let's start reading in verse 1. And when Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt, then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, uh, after uh, he had uh, sent her back. Excuse me, verse 3, and her two sons, of which the name of the one was uh, uh, Gershom, uh, who he said, I have been an alien in a strange land. And the name of the other was Eleazar, for the, for the God of uh, my fathers, said he, uh, was mine help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, uh, came with his sons, and his wife unto Moses unto the wilderness, where he encamped, <clears throat> that uh, the mount of God, excuse me, mount, uh, encamped at the mount of God. And he said unto Moses, I, thy father-in-law Jethro, am come unto thee, and thy wife, and her two sons with her. Let's pray, dear Lord. Thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your love, for the work you do in our lives, and. Lord, help us this morning to get a to get a a better picture of how you would have us praise you in our lives. Help us, dear God, to be more like you in everything that we say and do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We first met Jethro in Exodus chapter two when Moses fled Egypt uh, after killing the Egyptian. Uh, Moses fled Egypt and ended up in the land of Midian. And this is where we met Jethro. And Jethro uh, has uh, several daughters. The daughters were out watering the animals. And and uh, uh, Moses sees that that they are in trouble uh, because of uh, some other uh, stuff going on. And Moses comes to their rescue. And because Moses saves or, or, or... or uh, defends his daughters, Jethro invites him into his home, and uh, and he ends up actually marrying one of his daughters, and the, the daughter he ended up marrying was Zipporah. In Exodus chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, it says, Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the trough to, to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. So, Moses uh, gets an gets an in with his future father-in-law, and the rest, as they say, is history. And he ends up marrying Zipporah. Now, 
Jethro's appearance here in chapter 18 brings up a couple of questions. At least it did in my mind, and, and I don't know, you may have thought about this as well. But the first question is, when did Moses' wife and two sons go back to Midian? The other question is, how did Jethro hear about what God had done in Egypt? You know, they didn't have the internet. <laughs> Cell phones and all that stuff. Um, and, and to be perfectly honest, we do not know the answer to those two questions. I spent hours reading and studying and trying to figure it out. And <clears throat> we don't know. We, we truly don't know. But we do know that in Exodus chapter 4, Zipporah, Moses' wife, was in Egypt with him. So when God told Moses to go back to Egypt, he took his wife and two sons with him. And sometime after that, it is assumed, uh, one of the, the, the potential reasons and that makes the most sense to me is that before God declared war on Egypt, Moses knew what was going to be happening. And it's very, very possible that he sent his wife and two sons back to Midian to avoid uh, the, the, the problems that were, were going to be coming down. We, we just don't know, honestly. It is also possible that <clears throat> sometime after the Exodus, Moses sent a messenger to Jethro um, <clears throat> asking him to uh, bring his wife and two sons to him. And it's very possible, if that was the scenario that happened, that that messenger would have informed uh, Jethro of what God had done in Egypt. We don't know. But he could have learned of what happened in Egypt via the uh, caravans. You know, caravans back then were an important thing uh, uh, means of communications because most people didn't travel very far. And as these caravans would go from, from country to country or region to region, they, they were known as the, uh, the information superhighway. Carinet, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, uh, but uh, that, that, was, that was how news traveled was via the caravan. So it, it, that could have been. We, we honestly, we, we don't know. But Jethro is a central figure in the life of Moses. And <clears throat> as we look at this story, we see the first six verses here of chapter 18, and we, and we think, okay, so he went to visit. Well, <clears throat> we need to expand that a little bit more. So my second point this morning is Jethro's arrival. Jethro's arrival. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. And Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and did obedience uh, and kissed him and said, uh, uh, and they asked each other uh, of their affairs and they came, and they came uh, into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and unto the Egyptians, 
for Israel's sake and all the travail that had come upon them by the way and how the Lord delivered them. So we see we see Jethro shows up again in my mind, raising a couple of questions uh, that we, we just don't know the answers to. But I, I still think it's kind of a, it's something to ponder anyway. Um, but then we see his arrival and, and Moses here does does something very, very important. He goes out to meet Jethro. Uh, by doing this, he is showing uh, Jethro great respect. Okay? <clears throat> Another thing that you need to understand is that in the Middle East, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, hospitality, that's the word I'm looking for. Hospitality is, is super important. It, it is... It is probably the single most important uh, relational element in the Middle East. Uh, It was very common for, especially back then, when a visitor came that you spent a lot of time greeting each other. It was a big fanfare, you know, always followed by a large meal and all of this stuff. And, And oftentimes... It, because of our society, we we lose some of the importance of what it means to greet people. You know, uh, the truth is, because of uh, cell phones and computers and things, we communicate with people uh, around the world in in an instant. Uh, this morning, when I got the email from uh, Jerry Judd in in New Zealand, chances are. Uh, I, I happened to be sitting in front of the computer when it came in, so chances are it, it had only been seconds that he hit the send button to the time that I got it. See, we we don't value hospitality the way they did because the fact that we are in constant communication with each other. But you have to understand that traveling back then especially the distance from Midian to, uh, to where the, uh, the children of Israel were encamped was a great distance. And it probably cost Jethro the equivalent of probably hundreds of thousands of dollars to make that journey. Because, <clears throat> again, you, you have to understand when people traveled then, they didn't just get in a car, two or three people, and drive across the country like we do. They had to form a caravan, and there was probably paid mercenaries that traveled with them to protect them along the way. And it was a journey that that took several weeks, if not months, to to make. And because of this, the 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 the, the time between visits was 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 lengthy. And chances are, this would be the last time that Moses, Zipporah, and his grandsons would probably ever see Jethro. Moses shows him great respect for not only who he was being his father-in-law, but I believe showed him great respect for making the trip himself because it could it could have been very easy 
for Jethro because Jethro had to have been an old man by now. It would have been very easy for Jethro to just take a servant and say, okay, here, here's the poor of the two boys. Make sure they get there safe. And, and he, he, he could have stayed home and been perfectly justified in doing so. Well, I, I, I believe God had a hand in it as well, but I'm just saying that, that he did not have that, he, that obligation was not there. He could, have, he could have stayed home, and nobody would have blamed him. I found another interesting side note or question in, in this, that in the greeting, in verses 7 and 8, we see nothing said about Zipporah and his two sons. I don't know why. I, I read a lot of a lot of information that that threw out some different theories on that. But the the concentration here, and this is this is important. The concentration here, the emphasis here, is on the meeting of Moses and Jethro. This is important. I believe it's important uh, because in verse eight. There is a key word here that we oftentimes miss. Look at verse 8. And it says, And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake and all the travail. In other words, Moses told Jethro everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly. He told them everything. Now I want to stop here for just a second, and I want you to kind of think this process through. Here Jethro has just traveled all this great distance to deliver Moses' wife and two sons. And Moses invites him into his tent and, and they sit down and they probably, in the midst of a great feast, Moses shares with him everything that's taken place. Everything. Now, <clears throat> we tend to have very little patience with the Hebrews, do we not? Here, here God had brought them out of Egypt after doing 10 plagues that, to show the strength and the power of God. And he brings and he, and he delivers them out of, out of Egypt without a fight. Pharaoh finally gives up and says, just go. Then they start across the desert and they come to a place called the Red Sea. And God delivers them out of the hand of the Egyptians again via the Red Sea. And, 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 in the, and in the process, takes out the entire Egyptian army. Blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. And all the people could do was what? Complain. So we, because we know the story, tend to be a little critical of the Hebrews, do we not? Those people are so ungrateful. Look what God has done in their lives. And, and <clears throat> I don't know about you, I know me, 
uh, I tend to side with Moses on most everything. I do. And, and I, I imagine most of you do too. We can we can look at what God had had done in the lives of the Egypt, or of the Hebrews, and we think, "What are you thinking? What are you complaining about? You should be praising God that He is all the things that He's done: water out of a rock, manna from heaven, a cloud to 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 follow by day, and a pillar of fire by night, and and all of over and over and over and over." And we think, "Why are you complaining?" We even get to, at least, again, I say we, I, I'm, I, me, I even get a little judgmental. I've even been known to call the Israelites idiots. <laughs> I, I think, and, and, and this is, this is, this, I don't know how you study the Bible. The way I study the Bible is when I come to a character like Jethro, I say to myself, after this meeting with Moses, what would I have done? I don't know. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I, I, this is, I'm just being honest. This is what I would have done. I think, I think this is what I would have done. I think I would have said to Moses, Hey, Moses. You're the head dog around here. I want you to get all the people together. I, I want to have a little chat. And I believe I would have stood up in front of those people and I would have chastised them for being so carnal. Well, I don't know. I, I, I honestly, I, I really... <clears throat> yeah. But how does Jethro react? Again, it would have been so easy for Jethro to take Moses' side in all of this. It would have been so easy for Jethro to, to stand up in front of this people and say, you ungrateful bunch of hypocrites. You know, Moses, Moses didn't have to come and rescue you, but he did, and you treat him like trash. You've threatened to kill him on multiple occasions. And, and I mean, I could, I could just see Jethro's veins in his neck just getting ready to pop. But what does he do? See, this is this, this is key. You've got to get a hold of this. Let's look at Jethro's choice because that's what it is. It's a choice. Earlier, we agreed that praise is a choice. Look at verse 9 of our passage. And Jethro, what? Rejoiced. For all the goodness which the Lord hath done to Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, who hath delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. For in the thing wherein they, they dealt 
proudly he was above them. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifice for God. And Aaron came and other and the other elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses, uh, Moses' father-in-law before God. <clears throat> His reaction was a choice. As much as I think, and, and I believe this, I, I probably would have made a very carnal, bad choice in that situation. Jethro chose praise. That's a father-in-law there, buddy. Yes. He was not. He was a, he was a Gentile uh, priest. He introduced him to God. Did, did you see what he said in verse 11? Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Now I know. See, I think, and again, this is just my opinion, I believe that Jethro, being the, the older, wise man that he was, being a priest of Midian, again, a secular, uh, a, a non-Jewish a non priest, but I believe, because of that verse, believed in God. I believe that that Jethro had seen a lot of things in his life. I believe that Jethro understood that fiery trials and testings are a part of life. And that, that these testings and trials that we go through are not punishment, but are training. See, it's not until we get older in life that a lot of the stuff starts to make sense. It is when we are in the midst of the struggles and the trials that we tend to complain and, and blame God and do all of these things. And, and the reality is this. If we were there in Israel, well, not in Israel, but in the midst of the people at that time, we would have done the same thing. As critical as we would be today, if we were in that situation, we probably would have done the same thing. And the reality is that we are, by nature, a complaining people. But Jethro made a choice. He could have followed along with Moses and patted Moses on the back and said, Oh, Moses, I feel sorry for you. These people, I can't believe these people treated you the way they did. He didn't do that. He chose to praise God. He understood, I believe he understood, what James tried to, has tried to teach us in James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptations, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. So when do we get the crown of life? After we've been through the trials of life. It's part of the training. It's not, it's not a curse. It's, it's a blessing in disguise. Which the Lord hath promised them, uh, to them that love him. 
See, what is James trying to teach us? James is trying to teach us in the New Testament the same thing Jethro was living in the Old Testament. God is good all the time. No matter what's going on, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter, no matter what is scenario or circumstance, you call it whatever you want to call it, trial of life is going on. God is good. And He deserves our praise. Period. And it is a choice that we make. Something else that I found to be very interesting here is that praise is contagious. Look at verse 12. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifice for God. And Aaron came and all the elders of Israel to eat bread uh, with uh, Moses' father-in-law before God. They weren't invited. They came. Praise is contagious. Now, earlier we, we, we agreed that praise is a choice. And the conclusion of that statement is that a heavy heart or a complaining heart is also a choice. Is that right? Okay. So, conclusion number two. If praise is contagious, then a heavy heart and a complaining spirit is also what? Contagious. Very possible. See, Jethro chose to praise God. And it affected the leadership of the nation. He wasn't even Jewish. John Wesley was about 21 years old when he went to Oxford University. He came from a Christian home and was gifted in a keen mind and good looks. Yet in those days, he was a bit snobbish and sarcastic. One night, however, something happened that set in motion a change in Wesley's heart. While speaking to a porter, he discovered that the poor fellow had only one coat and lived in such impoverished conditions that he didn't even have a bed. Yet, he was was an unusually happy person, filled with gratitude to God. Wesley, being immature and thoughtless, joked about the man's misfortunes. And what else do you thank God for, he said, with a touch of sarcasm. And the porter smiled and in a spirit of meekness replied with joy, I thank him that he has given me my life and being, a heart to love him, and above all, a constant desire to serve him. Deeply moved, Wesley recognized that this man knew the meaning of true thankfulness. Many years later, in 1791, John Wesley lay on his deathbed at the age of 88. 
Those who gathered around him realized how well he had learned the lesson of praising God in every circumstance. Despite Wesley's extreme weakness, he began singing a hymn, I'll praise my maker while I have breath. See, praise is a choice. Each and every one of us can justify, like I did, being angry. We can all justify our own pity parties, but it's a choice that we make. The last couple of weeks, we have looked at the struggle from within that takes place, the, f- the struggle that we, we have in our minds. Last week, we talked about the struggle from without that, 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 that we have no control over, but life just kind of happens. See, the struggles of life are real. Each and every single one of us can, we, I could start in the back and we could go down every row through, every, through everybody here. And everybody here, if you're not going through a struggle currently, you just got through one or you're looking at one. It's part of life. And the choice that you make now will determine the outcome of that trial. We choose whether we will praise God or we will sulk. We choose whether we will rejoice or we will complain. It's our choice. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 42. And as I read this psalm, I want you to listen to the psalmist. Because the first part of this verse, the the, the first part of this psalm, we go, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, praise God. But then later, the latter half half of what I'm about to read is he describes some of the struggle that he's going through. Psalm 42, verses 1 through 4. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been in my meat day and night, while they have continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had not gone with the multitude. I went with them uh, to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with all the multitude. Uh, that kept the holiday, the holy day. Excuse me. What what is what is David telling us here? You know what? You know he starts off by praising God, but then he he describes the heartache that's taking place, the tears that have been in his food. That the word meat there is referring to his meals. He can't sit down to eat without tears pouring out of his eyes to the point where it's dropping into his food. That's sorrow. That's hurt. That's a circumstance or a, a life situation that, that is beyond our abilities to cope with. But what does he do? He describes his own heart. 
As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. What is David doing? David is making a choice. In the midst of a struggle that is causing him to cry so much that his tears are falling into his food, David is making a choice that he is going to praise God. Is that an easy thing? Absolutely not. But it is a necessary thing. Back years ago, I took a motorcycle safety class. When I was in the Navy, I got my first motorcycle. My mom, it's a good thing I was in South Carolina, she was in California, because she would have killed me. <clears throat> but anyway, I got my first motorcycle. The Navy said, you've got to take this safety class. Okay, no big deal. So I, I, I went over to take this class, and there, I don't know, there was 15 or 20 of us to take this class. And, <clears throat> and the, the, the instructor comes out and he says, he says this, he says, how many of you think that I'm here to teach you how to ride your motorcycle? Raise your hand. And I, I like, I think everybody else raised, raised our hands. And he said, you're wrong. He says, I'm here to teach you how to wreck your motorcycle. My first thought was, you're an idiot. I just do that, okay? I just, you know, I'm just, you know, that's, that's how my brain works, you know? And he went on to explain. He said, Anybody who rides a motorcycle for any period of time will eventually have an accident. It will be your fault. It won't be your fault. It really doesn't matter. You are going to go down, period. And when you go down, the things that I'm going to teach you can save your life. And then he made this statement that has stuck with me my whole life. He said, you're going to crash. And what you do when you crash will determine the outcome. Think about that. You're going to crash. And he he was right. I didn't wreck the first one. I wrecked the second one. (laughs) And it wasn't my fault. It was nobody. I, I just hit. I hit some dirt on a curve. And I lost traction, and off it went. And he was right. Because instantly, everything he taught me popped in. And I did I did everything he told me to do. And I walked away with some gravel in my knee. I had to get it, I had to have surgery to dig it out of my knee, but that's beside the point. The point is this. Life is going to happen. Situations are going to come. Circumstances are going to change. And what you do during those times will determine the outcome. And I'm here to tell you, is if you will learn to praise God through those difficulties, the outcome is a whole lot better. See, you're going to choose to either praise or complain. We all do. Jethro is an incredible picture of a man who had every right to complain, 
and he chose to praise. What are we going to do? Let's pray.